Your singing was beautiful. I was sitting backstage. It was awesome. So well done. I want to talk to those of you who feel like nothing is working for you. Just nothing. I mean, good things that should be happening for you, they're not. And bad things that shouldn't be happening, they are. Well, I want to tell you today one thing that you can do to change that. Maybe you're feeling like Maria. Maria came home to her horror to see her husband Joe shaking uncontrollably, seeing some wires leading to the electric skillet. So seeing, she, oh, this guy's being electrocuted. She saw a two before over the corner. She picked it up, whacked him, and he knocked him loose to the current, and fell to the floor, holding his now broken arm. He said, what? What did you do that for? She, well, I came in and I, I saw you were being, being shocked. I wasn't being shocked. I was dancing to the music on my earphones. <laughs> Maybe you feel like Maria, just nothing is quite working well for you. We can be so easily deceived. What we think is right really isn't right. What we feel is right really isn't right. That's why we're in this series called Truths That Set You Free. Truths That Set You Free to Enjoy Life as, as God Intended It. Because all of us can be so easily deceived. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this. There is a way that seems right, and, and maybe it feels right, looks right to a person, but its end is the way that leads to death. We need God's truth, His absolute truth, that sets us free. I want you to look at three benefits of God's truth. Three benefits God offers us. Psalm 16, verse 11. The Bible says... You will show me the path, the path that leads to what? Life. Life, Life is its fullest. And your presence, your presence, Lord, fills me with what? Joy. Fills me with joy. And what else does it bring me? It brings me pleasure forevermore. God says, I'm going to give you life. I want to give you joy. I want to give you pleasure as you follow these absolute truths. Now, in these series, in this series, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And last week, we looked at commandments number one through four. And today, we're going to look at commandments five, six, and seven. So if you have your notes, I want you to be able to follow along. If not, we're still we're printing them again so you can get them over by the door. We're going to look at commandments number five, six, and seven. What is commandment number five? Commandment number five is honor your father and your mother. Now, this promise comes with a, this, this commandment, rather, comes with a great promise. If, if you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you. Things will start going better, and you will have a long life on the earth. I just last week, my son John called me, and he said, hey, you got time for a mechanical question? I said, sure, what's up? He said, my lawnmower, my lawnmower won't start. My lawnmower always starts, but now it won't start. I said, well, have you checked the spark plug? He says, yes, I've taken it out. I, I ground it against the block. I've got spark, but nothing. It's not even firing. And I said, well, did you check the gas? He said, yes, I took all the old gas out, thinking maybe it's a gas problem, put new gas in, but nothing. So honestly, on the phone, I'm quietly praying, God, help me, what do I do? And while I'm praying, I'm also Googling how to start a lawnmower that won't work. <laughs> Prayer and Google go together. 
And I said, you know, why don't you do this? Go buy some carburetor cleaner, open up the choke on the carburetor for the lawnmower, spray it in while Rachel is pulling the starter rope. He said, okay, okay, I'm, I'm on my way, bye, I'm going to O'Reilly's, fine. Later on, he sent me this little video. Things will just go better for you if you will honor your father and your mother. God promises not that things will go perfectly, and he doesn't promise that you'll never have a flat tire or get rich, but he does say things will go better if you will honor your father and your mother. So what is it to honor your father and your mother? Here's a definition for you. To honor your parents is to value them highly. It's to show great respect. It's to treat with courtesy. It's to regard them highly. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 gives this promise again. My son, never forget the things I've taught you. If you want a long and satisfying life, and who doesn't? Say, yes, I want a long and satisfying life. Then closely follow my instructions. Let me give you four practical ways that you can honor your parents. You can start putting this into practice. And God says, then I will make things go better for you. Way number one is you can honor your parents by asking for their advice. Now, most parents are at least 20 or so years older than you are. They've got 20 more years of living, so they've got more experience, they've made more mistakes than you have. So your parents should be your go-to person when you really don't know what to do. And I believe that God gives your parents unique insight that he does not give to anyone else. This is what the scripture says. Listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother's experience when she is old. My father told me, take my words to heart, follow my instructions, and you will live. I remember, remember trying to put this into practice when I was thinking about proposing to my wife now, Connie, and uh, I was with my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm thinking about proposing to Connie. What do you think? And he said, well, son, I think Connie's a fine young lady. I think she'd make a great wife for you. Well, I think you should do it. I said, yes, yes, yes. So, of course, I, I proposed to Connie. And I'm so glad I did. This thing really works. 47 years later, we're still happily married. Thank God. Men and women, you should try asking your father and mother for advice. And even after we were married, I remember asking my dad, hey, Dad, I'm thinking about buying a freezer. What do you think? And he said, well, son, I don't think you should. He didn't have any particular reason. He said, I, I just don't think you should. So I said, okay, fine. A few months went by, someone gave us a freezer. God will give insight to your parents that he doesn't give to anybody else. And that's to motivate you to go to them for advice. And by the way, do you know when you do go to your parents for advice, it does something for them. Not just for you, it does something for them. It lifts their spirits. It makes them feel better. It encourages them. It also motivates them to draw closer to the Lord so they can give you even better advice. Now, if there, were, if there was ever a young man who actually did know more than his parents, it was Jesus. He's the God-man. But I want you to look at the example that Jesus set for us. 
This is what the Bible says when Jesus was only 12 years old. Then Jesus returned to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph, and he was obedient to them. Now, is there an exception to following your parents' advice? And the answer is yes, there is an exception. The exception would be if your parents tell you to do something that clearly violates the Word of God, then you would have to say no. If your dad were to say, hey, I want you to go to Stripes and steal a six-pack for me, then you would have to respectfully say, Dad, I'm really sorry, I can't do that. But you honor your parents by go to them, going to them and asking for their advice. Secondly, you also show honor to your father and your mother when you learn to make wise, de uh, wise decisions yourself. They, they are thrilled when you make wise decisions. Proverbs chapter 23 captures how your parents feel when you, when you make a wise choice. My child, how I will rejoice if you become wise. Yes, my heart will thrill when you speak what is right and just. I'll tell you a simple way to help your children make wise decisions. Post a copy of the Ten Commandments on the wall, either by the refrigerator or somewhere where, where everybody's going to see it. And to help you, uh, we have printed several copies of the Ten Commandments in a 5 by 7 format, suitable for framing, for free. You can pick one up by the door on the way out. We wanted you to have one. And, and do this. Bribe your children. Nothing wrong with this. Bribe your kids. Say, look, there are Ten Commandments. I'll pay you a dollar for each one you can quote. You quote all ten of them, that's ten bucks. By the way, mom and dad, that's the best ten dollars you'll ever spend. You are programming their value structure with absolute truth, truths that will set them free. Because the Bible says this, be with wise men and become wise, be with evil men and become evil. So your parents are honored when you make wise decisions. Thirdly, you also honor your father and your mother when you stay in contact with them. When you make that phone call, when you send them a text or an email or a card, it says, I was thinking about you. You are honoring them. You're lifting their spirits. And fourthly, let me gently say, you can also honor your father and your mother by forgiving them. I know some of you, some of you were abused by a father or a mother. For some, it was a horrible verbal abuse. For others, it was even physical abuse. And that abuse has, has embittered you. Maybe you're holding on to that anger, trying to get even. Let me assure you, you do not need to hold on to your anger to get even. God will deal with a father or mother that abuses a child. Jesus said this, if someone causes one of these little ones pain or hurt and, and causes them to fall, it would be better for that person to have a huge stone, a boulder around their neck and cast out into the depths of the gulf. God will deal with them. Don't try to take your own revenge. Don't try to get even. Honestly, the best thing, and look at me, the best thing you can do for yourself is to forgive your father, is to forgive your mother, Forgiveness is setting a prisoner free only to discover you were the prisoner. The best thing you can do for yourself is to say, Father, I want you to say this with me silently, just in your heart. 
Father, today I forgive him. Come on, take this faith step. Father, today I forgive her. Today I forgive. I'm going to let it go. It's the best thing that you can do for yourself is to follow commandment number five, honor your father and your mother, even when it means forgiving them. Now let's look at commandment number six. Commandment number six is do not murder. When you look at this commandment, I'm sure many of you are thinking, well, I got this one in the bag. I, I think I'll just take a little mental rest here because I ain't going to murder anybody. Uh, don't be quite so fast. Jesus took this to another depth, another level. This is what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, now he's going to quote the commandment, you must not murder anyone. Anyone who murders another will be judged. Now, he's going to take it down for you and me. But I tell you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be judged. Now, all honesty, who do we get angry with? The people that we live with. We're around them all the time. We can't escape them. They're, they're there. And with COVID-19, it's even worse. We're stuck. Who do we get angry with? We get angry with the people we live with. I have to tell you something that's very sad. I'll tell you something I did when I was only six years old. My older brother, four years older, made me terribly angry. So angry, I began, this is sad, I began chasing him with a hatchet. And when I couldn't catch him, I threw it at him. Fortunately, it just fell a little bit short. And when it did, the blade stuck in the ground. Only six years old, I could have murdered my older brother. Do you ever have anger like that? Anger that you sense is just boiling up within you? Jesus said that's as bad as murder. The Bible says this, don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. The very first murder in the Bible was Cain killed his brother in the book of Genesis. He got angry, and that anger was out of control. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Let me give you six practical ways to deal with embarrassing anger. Would you agree with this? Anger can make fools out of all of us. Would you agree with that? Well, of course it's true. So what should you do? I suggest, number one, decide today. Decide right now. I'm never again going to lose my temper. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting angry, but it is always wrong to lose your temper when it's out of control. It's so easy to make excuses for it. Say, well, that's the way I was raised. Oh, everybody in my family's like that. Will you be different? Great, great decisions start with small ones. It says, all right, today, Lord, today I'm never again going to excuse this anger. I'm never again going to do that. God, help me to never again lose my temper. Secondly, ask for forgiveness every time you lose your temper. Every single time. Own it. Don't excuse it. One of our church leaders, dear man, said this. Having to go back and ask forgiveness every time I lose my temper motivates me not to lose it the next time. Own it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I lost my temper. Please forgive me. Thirdly, ask for help. Ask for help to control your temper. 
Now we're going to peel this back a little bit. And we're going to look into the life of King Saul. King Saul was the king over the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But he had a terrible temper. His temper was so bad, he tried to kill his most loyal servant, David, three times. Three times. He hurled his spear at him and just missed. You can hear the spear. And David had to run for his life because his, his king had such a terrible temper problem. It was so bad that King Saul not only tried to kill his servant, David, he tried to kill his own son when he lost his temper, Jonathan. Once again, he threw his spear, stuck in the wall, missed him. That's a bad temper. If you read the Bible carefully, the Bible reveals Satan was inspiring Saul's temper. Did you know when you lose your temper, you're giving Satan a grip in, on your life? That's why you can't stop this on your own. You need help. Do what I do. Unfortunately, I, I don't get angry very often, but sometimes I do. Oh, let me give you a little surprise. Sometimes Connie loses her temper. Not often. I know you think I'm lying. I'm not. It's rare. All of us, would you agree with this? All of us at times get angry, right? Isn't that true? Yes. It's not wrong to get angry, but it's always wrong to lose your temper. When I sense I'm getting mad, I will say, hey, I'm going for a walk. That's not a lie. I am going for a walk. But what I'm actually doing is going for a walk so I can call one of my buddies and say, hey, I am about to lose it. Pray for me. I'm mad. Would you agree it is better to ask for help before you fail than to ask for forgiveness after you fail? Ask for help. You are fighting Satan and the forces of hell. Think, I need help. Admit it to God and admit it to God's people. This is what the Bible says. A person standing alone, look at this next word, can be attacked and, what's the next word? It can be defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. Step number four, take this to a deeper level. Discover what is making you angry. Often, it is a deep wound from the past. That's why Celebrate Recovery is so good. It will take you through a series of questions you can answer on your own to help you discover, why am I angry? What is it about this that's making me angry? It could be a deep wound from the past. Celebrate Recovery meets here on Friday nights at 7 o'clock. By the way, you might be surprised. One of the sources of your bad temper could be the movies that you're watching that glorify people losing their temper, that glorify murder. Look at all the movies that are about assassins. Do you know the Bible says one of the seven things God hates is those that shed innocent blood. Be careful of the movies you watch, of the games you play. Are they glorifying murder and an angry temper? Number five, never let anger stay overnight. Anger should never be an overnight guest. The Bible says don't sin by letting anger control you. Well, how is it controlling you? Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with that anger. It doesn't mean you've got to go and ask forgiveness or reconcile at 1230 at night, but you've got to deal with your own anger. How do you do that? You say, God, give me the grace to forgive. God, give me the grace to forgive. Honestly, 
there are some people you're going to have to forgive over and over and over until you can think of him and it no longer makes you mad. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to re-forgive. Jesus said forgive 70 times 7. That's as often as you need to until you can think of him or her and it no longer causes anger to rise up in your heart. I would suggest number six, make your goal to become unoffendable. This is a book by the same title, Brant Hansen, great book. I read it. All of our staff have read it. We buy it and give it away to others. It is such a helpful book because it shows you how to take to heart the truth. God will cause everything to work for good to those who love him. So if someone is even intentionally trying to hurt you, you know your heavenly father is going to make it work for good. You can say with Joseph, even though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's becoming unoffendable. I want us to pause. I want you to look at me. Right now, I want to ask you to take a faith step. And that faith step is to forgive the person who's hurt you. Silently in your own heart as his face goes across your mind. Or you see her face. Father, today, I'm going to forgive him. That's supernatural. Father, today, by your grace, I'm going to forgive him. You'll be the happiest person today on this planet. I'm going to forgive by God, by God's grace. I'm going to forgive him. Do it right now. Father, with you as my helper, I am forgiving him. I am forgiving her. What about commandment number seven? Commandment number seven is do not commit adultery. Now, once again, I know a, a significant portion of you are thinking, ha, I ain't going to commit adultery. Anything else you got to say? Yes. As a matter of fact, I do. We're going to take this to a deeper level. But before we do, I want to talk to two groups. One group here today is thinking, man, I wish Kenny would talk about something that relates to me. I am not going to commit adultery. Did you realize you're the person who needs this message more than anybody else? The moment you think you are immune, you are most vulnerable. The Bible says, let every person who thinks he's standing be careful lest he fall. So I want you to listen. The second group, the second group are those, as soon as I say the word adultery, pain, shame enters your mind because you did commit adultery. Did you realize if you committed adultery and you've asked the Lord to forgive, him, to forgive you, he has not only forgiven you, he has forgotten it. He has erased it. Your past is as clean as the freshly fallen snow. So I want you to take to heart what I say today. While we can't change our past, we can change our future. And how can we do that? Dr. Howard Hendricks is one of my mentors, a great man of God. Over a two-year period, he interviewed 246 Christian leaders. Christian leaders who failed sexually. Christian leaders who failed over a period of only two years. What went wrong? He identified four things that were in common of all 246 men. First of all, they stopped meeting with the Lord every day to feed their own soul. There is no substitute to feeding yourself spiritually 
every single day. We call that a quiet time. Secondly, none of them were meeting in an accountability group. I meet with my accountability group every week, and I don't meet with them because I'm dedicated. I meet with them because I'm desperate. I know I could fail. Are you meeting with someone? If you're a man with another man, if you're a lady with another lady to give an account for your own heart, what's going on deep within? Thirdly, 80% of them committed adultery with a woman they were initially trying to help. Remember that. We're going to come back to it later. Number four, 100% of them were convinced sexual failure would never happen to them. Now let's take this deep. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, you must not be guilty of adultery. He's, he's quoting here the seventh commandment. But I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman and wants to sin sexually with her in his mind, he has already done that sin with that woman. He's already committed adultery. Fantasizing about having sex with another woman is mental adultery. Undressing someone mentally is mental adultery. Did you know that doctors have discovered that pornography is more addicting than cocaine? Jesus said, deal with mental adultery. Get radical. How radical? He said, if your right eye is causing you to sin, take it out and throw it away. It's better, Jesus said, to lose one part of your body than to have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. How can you and I have sexual purity? I suggest, number one, you need to develop a healthy fear of failing. I could fail. You could fail. We could all fail. There should be a healthy fear of harming your children, your family, and your future by failing sexually. Secondly, decide that you are not going to be alone with an unrelated man or woman. Now, think about this. If you're never alone with an unrelated man or a woman, you are not going to commit adultery. Right? Say right. Oh, you're a sharp group. Yes! Now, when I first started in the ministry, I made this really stupid decision. I was talking to a lady over the phone. She was telling me her troubles. And she said, hey, let's just get together for lunch and we can talk about it. And I said, okay, sure. As soon as I hung up, I thought, oh, I should not have done that. You guys ever had that happen? I mean, immediately, you realize, oh, that was a bad choice. So I did what I always do. I called my wife. I said, honey, I'll tell you what happened. I'm talking to so-and-so. They said, let's meet for lunch. What do you think? She said, all right, I tell you what to do. You call her right now and tell her you're not going to do that. And you need to meet in the office. Now, is that embarrassing? Yes. Humbling? Yes. Did I do it? Yes, I did. I said, hey, I can't meet with you out there for lunch. Let's just meet here in the office. Fine. Simple little rule. I am not going to meet alone with an unrelated member of the opposite sex. Thirdly, don't fantasize about being with another woman or with another man. I want you to listen closely. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Don't do it. No one commits adultery suddenly. It is a series of small failures. Number four, spend quality alone time with your spouse. If you're married, your sexual relationship is a measure of the health 
of your relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, do not, do not ignore, do not turn away from normal sexual relationships within the marriage. It is God's provision to deal with very healthy sex drives. If something is wrong with that sex drive, chances are, unless there's a physical problem, that there's something wrong with your marriage. You need to deal with it. I strongly encourage you to do everything you can to communicate to your spouse, you are number one in my life. You are above the children. You are above my sisters, my co-workers. You are above the grandchildren. You are number one in my life. Number five, refuse to flirt. Refuse to flirt. I want to tell you about something that happened to me. It probably happened to you. You're in a group, and, and you notice that suddenly there is this connection between you and someone else. And it's just, it's just electric. Like, whoa, this feels pretty good. Ooh, she thinks I'm good looking. And, you know, you stick your chest out, put your shoulders back, make sure your hair looks good. You ever had that happen? You don't have to answer right now. <laughs> I have. Nothing wrong has happened yet. What should you do? You have a choice. Are you going to move toward that feel-good feeling or away from it? Let me tell you, move away. Move away immediately from that extended stare, from that extended touch. Your family's future depends on turning away. You need to say, I'm not going to risk my future and my family's future for what might feel good for a moment. Turn away from it. Just say, dear God, I want you to be my helper. I want to be true to the commitment that I've made. If you are looking to anyone else other than your spouse to meet your emotional needs, you may already be in an emotional affair. And you need to end it. And you need to stop it. I suggest number six, that you do not discuss your marriage problems with anyone of the opposite sex unless you're talking to a pastor or a professional Christian counselor. Now, every word I've just used is important. If you are not talking to a Christian counselor, you are headed for trouble. I remember talking to a good friend some time ago. He was talking about his marriage troubles, and, and he said, you know, at work, we have access to a, a, a psychologist for free. So I've been going to this psychologist about my marriage troubles, and the psychologist told me, you need to prepare for divorce. You need to go ahead and start taking steps to get divorced. And I said, whoa, whoa, stop, hold it. Don't ever go back to that person again. That is deadly advice. Did you know that bad counsel is like bad medicine? It will kill you. You need to only listen to those who are committed Christians, who are dealing with the scripture. I said, you need to work on your marriage and not be thinking about divorce. Once again, I want to have a private moment with you. In a group like this, of this size, some of you are already in a relationship that's wrong. You're married, and you're talking to another woman. You're married, and you're talking to another man. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you with every ounce of strength I have to stop today.
stop today. End that relationship today. You need to go home today. Don't put it off. You need to go home today. And with your wife or husband there with you, you need to call Sally and say, Sally, I'm calling to ask your forgiveness for behaving so poorly and being in this relationship. My wife, husband is here on the phone with me and I'm ending it. I'm ending it right now. I'm terribly sorry for what I've done and I ask you to forgive me but please don't ever call me again. This is over. I'm begging you on behalf of your children, on behalf of your future, you end it today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we know this is your absolute truth. Do not commit adultery. Father, I'm praying for those that are right now on the edge of the cliff. They don't even realize they're about to fall over. Father, I'm pleading. I'm pleading for that man. I'm pleading for that woman to end it today. Father, I know this is your will. You have a great future for them. Give them courage, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.